Hey, Cinema B Podcast, this is Time Hog. You got the glow, baby. Bruce Leroy. Episode number 52 of the Cinema Beef Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Hill. Uh, back again after like a one-month hiatus. And I, uh, I apologize for that right now because stuff that I've been lazy, it's just hard to find guests sometimes and that want to do something because uh, most folks that troll the internet are pretty lazy when they say, hey, you want to do a show? Well, I don't know, you know. But then they realize it's just you and me talking and then, you know, they're a lot more relaxed that way. But uh, I got two scheduled for sure. That are coming up real soon. Willis is coming back on to discuss one of his Bane films, and uh, t- that's been rooting in my brain to discuss with him for a long, long time. So it should be a lot of fun there. And on uh, next episode, we'll have uh, Vaughn from the Motion Picture Massacre coming on to do uh, two films with me as well. And uh, he's a first-time guest, so that should be a lot of fun too. But uh, this time, this guest this time around has been. It was a movie copia with one time, and I've been on his show a couple times. Uh, Mr. Eric Bergstrom, how you doing, sir? Great. How are you doing, Gary? Doing fine. Uh, I haven't even been a month away from my show, and now I'm already back on another one. <laughs> That's okay, man. <laughs> it's like it's like a drug. Right. But yeah, it was, this was one was a long time coming, and uh, kept getting pushed back, it felt like. But now it's I finally had the time to do it, and I'm excited to be here. It's all good. If people's schedules change and get busy i'm not yeah. complaining at all <laughs> right i'm ready to just lay back and let fall come my favorite season of the year and enjoy some of the shows that are coming out from uh from you and uh, all the other uh shows out there that i listen to in case you guys didn't know uh eric was the host it's over now sadly of the 100 years of horror uh and um yeah that was that's good banter man i gotta, I gotta say that you for a solo show you are probably solo for about, I don't know, 90 of those episodes, and that's hard to pull off, and you you pulled it off pretty well, and I, I appreciate you for that, man. Yeah, I knew early on it was going to be probably a solo show. I was hoping to do kind of what, what you do and what um, Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts did for the first half of their run and just kind of bring people on every week, and then, like you said, just the scheduling and trying to get people to commit and all that stuff was was very difficult, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy that's like, I just want to get this you know, pumped out. I know that the best way to keep people listening is to have a consistent release schedule. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take this on solo. Um, I listened to a few solo shows to kind of get an idea 
and there's some pretty good ones out there and and it's uh, it kind of gave me a boost and and I uh, had a lot of fun with well, it. That's good, man. I mean, you did you did a good job for 100 shows. I wish there was 100 more, but you you uh you see you set out <laughs> for what you wanted to do and I got to respect that, you know, and it's uh over now, but it's not forgotten, you know. Well, hey, it's not my fault. If there were 200 years of film to discuss, I'd still be going, <laughs> but it's the film industry. Oh boy. You're also on a show uh all about the the Italian stuff, uh, Giallo Chow Chow. Why don't you tell the folks about that one, man? Yeah, we're going strong with Giallo Chow Chow. Hit up 20 episodes, and we'll be doing episode 21, uh, I guess, this coming week. And we'll be discussing kind of a more seedier subject, uh, the sister of Ursula. But yeah, it's, uh, we're kind of doing a, a very in-depth look at the Giallo film culture. Uh, a lot of the films kind of get covered on, on these horror podcasts, but as... Uh, most horror hosts know and film watchers know Giallo is not really a horror genre. Or it's kind of been seen that way from American film audiences, but uh, we like to take a look at it from the perspective of, of when they were coming out and what it was like back in the 70s with these kind of exploitative, uh, real kind of sleazy type of films. Uh, cool. Crime, crime thrillers kind of thing, yeah. You never uh, really get delved into the Giallo stuff, in any of it, really. I, I started watching some of it when Anchor Bay started pumping them out, and I got a few, you know, because people... It's more like one of those word-of-mouth kind of deals, because those didn't really... were really around when I started watching horror. It was all slasher creatures and all kinds of stuff like that, and I knew nothing about these till I don't know, about the year 2000, when they started pumping them out like crazy, and... Like, who's this Argento guy? Who's this Fulci guy? You know, yeah. and I'm still not a Fulci fan. I'll tell you right now. It's just a little yeah. strange, and he's like the Woody Allen of horror. He doesn't, doesn't know how to end a film. You know, I just throw it out there. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I like Woody yeah. Allen, but he doesn't know how to end a film for shit. And uh, Kind of too in love with his himself, too, in his yeah. fans. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a labor of love uh, going through each one of these films, because a lot of them are pretty similar in their formulas. Uh, I think this is... A lot of people say that the slasher film kind of was a hybrid of this and some other stuff overseas, and you can really see where that formula started to come into play with horror films. And uh, you have to kind of have a, a very keen eye. And I'm kind of in the same boat as you, where I didn't really get it, start getting into them until the last couple of years. So I'm still new to it all. But uh, Creep Creeperson and Chris, who is uh, the writer over at Yellowscore.com, they're uh, they're very uh, well knowledge. I guess if that's I don't know if that's a adjective but <laughs> in the in the subgenre so they have a lot to bring to the table great i ask all my guests this uh what have you watched lately that's been decent and what have you watched lately that's been bad uh decent actually yeah, i was just talking to you about i i saw as above so below which uh i think i went in with really low expectations and i'm kind of glad because i came away from it uh enjoying it for the most part it had a lot of kind of the the derivative jump scares that you would kind of expect from found footage, but it still had a pretty good uh, story, kind of a compelling story, I thought, with the, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but just the fact that they're kind of uh, trying to go discover the, the, the roots of alchemy and the Philosopher's Stone. So it's got kind of this Tomb Raider feel to it yeah. almost. But I thought that was pretty decent. I, I think I referred to it as a filthy Goonies because that's what it reminded me of. And in some ways, you know, that these yeah. these people just going underground looking for stuff. And they even find rich stuff, too. You know, which I, was, I was waiting they for do. some pirate bones to pop out or something. But that wasn't going to happen in that movie. It, it, it was it was good for what it was. I, I seen it opening weekend and it was um it was a found footage that managed to 
explain what was going on, and I could I could respect that because most found footage is like, hey, here's a creature. Hey, here's some weird stuff going on, and hey, we're not telling you anything. What's going on, and why this is happening? And the, you know that's yeah. why I dislike most found footage films. I keep saying, show me a good one, and then I've watched about six good ones now, and out of the hundreds or thousands that there are, and yeah, they're getting up they're there. They're getting up there, yeah. But uh, I like that one. Okay, it was worth my it was worth yeah. it was worth my six fifty. Is it a buy? Is it a yeah, buy think, for me? Probably not. You know, <laughs> I was just gonna say, I I think I probably won't run to the store to buy it. Maybe if I saw it cheap or something, I'm gonna pick it up and review it again. But yeah, I think you hit it on the head. There was one point where I turned to my wife and I said. Uh, I think it was when they were trying to figure out the uh, – there's a scene when they're trying to figure out which stone to pull. If they pull the wrong one, then the ceiling's going to collapse yeah. on them. And like, this is so Goonies right here. <laughs> you play the wrong note on the piano, the floor is going to yes, fall indeed. out. Yes, indeed. All they needed was an Asian uh, kid. Yeah. Yeah, right. Where was he? <laughs> uh, anything uh, bad lately you've seen? Bad, I guess. Not that I can think of offhand. The last movie I really – uh, didn't enjoy it was actually for Jalo Chow Chow. It was a movie called The Girl Who Knew Too Much from Mario Bava. Um, it was kind of when it's kind of been said that it's the first Jalo film. It's where a lot of films afterwards got the uh, got the different staples that they would eventually use. But there was just something about it that I I couldn't get into. And um, I would say go listen to that show to find out why. But <laughs> I won't pimp it too uh, much. Just go that. for it, man. We'll do it at the end of the show. Really, pimp whatever you want to. Basically, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, it's just um, maybe I don't. And I'm, I'm a fan of older films, as I think people would would know from listening to me talk about the first fifty years of horror, at least. But um, I just thought it was a little uh, hokey, and the music was kind of lame. And it, I think it just peaked too early. And then it's one of those films where you, you have to kind of wait for it to meet that same high note that it does at the beginning, and it just never does. And it's, so it's kind of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I understand. And a lot of those movies, like, uh, what's a good example? City of the Living Dead had a really stupid ending. And, you know, it left you yeah. wanting with your jaw drop saying, oh, that's how they're going to end this thing? Okay, you know, next movie. You know, it, yeah. they, they have a habit of doing that. And I don't, I don't hate Italian movies, Italian horror, because there are some good ones out there. There's a lot of good ones out there. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a different style, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I think just the amount that they were pumping out, it was, I mean, this was before all that, but it was still kind of, uh, I think Bava said that he wasn't, this, this wasn't a film that he was very proud of. It wasn't one he was very invested in and you can kind of see that, which is unfortunate, but it was kind of the opposite of as above, so below where I went in with low expectations because of all the bad reviews of it, uh, where I went into this one cause I heard so much praise for it as being such an early, uh, standout film of the Italian, uh, film industry and i just yeah i didn't like it yeah yeah that's about yeah <laughs> it's about, about it. that one it's <laughs> jolly jolly man but yeah. um yeah we we uh like i said we we set out to do one film for this like 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 a one-off type show but we decided to do two films for this special being our slater on slater special which which ironically yeah. one of the films has two slaters in it you know so it's almost slater on slater on slater yeah which is kind of weird because they're supposed to be yes. siblings in one of them. I didn't mean it in a gangbang sense, guys. I mean, let me leave that out right now. You'd be a little weird that way. But uh, it's <laughs> well, he was kind of ogling her when she was in the swimsuit. Yes, he weird, was. But... Yes, he was. It's very strange. But uh, the films we chose to cover, being uh, 
The Legend of Billie Jean, uh, the one starring Helen Slater and Christian Slater, and uh, Pump Up the Volume, starring just Christian Slater and some other random people that you may know. Uh, and I guess we'll uh, do this chronologically, I guess, you think? or Yeah, we can work it yeah, that we'll way. Do it that way. We'll do Legend of Billie Jean first, and we'll do that right through here, this trailer. She was a fugitive to the police. A sensation to the media. And a symbol of courage to young people everywhere to fight for what's right. The Legend of Billie Jean, directed by Matthew Robbins, featuring Pat Benatar's hit song, Invincible. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Consult your local listings. Uh, the Legend of Billie Jean from 1985. Uh, the short and skinny of it is. A Texas teenager cuts her hair short and becomes an outlaw martyr with her fr- brother and friends. There's more to it than IMDb. That's all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> yeah, give us a little yeah, bit more. I don't know. <laughs> but let's uh, read into this. I was like four when this came out. Uh, how, how old were you when this came out? Uh, I was actually probably just right out of the womb when it okay. came out. I'm a little boy. I'm a, Yeah, I'm a young one. Okay. But, um, yeah, this film basically is about a, a girl and her brother, basically. Her brother's uh, scooter gets damaged by these group of toughs uh, led by, I think the guy's name was like Hubie or something like that, the blonde kid. Yeah, yeah. Hubie's daddy, played by Stacey Keach, uh, when they go and try to get the money for the damage to the bike, makes uh, sexual advances on our hero, Billy Jean, played by Helen Slater. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, there he goes from there. They they rob him at gunpoint. <laughs> well, her brother Binks does, played by Christian Slater, and um, they become unsuspecting outlaws. And that's 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 the better plot plot synopsis, I think. Yeah, I think it's a lot closer to the truth. Yeah. Um. What's? Well, you tell me you're originally from Corpus Christi, Texas. You know what, what's this film do for you, really? I don't even know, man. I don't, I'm not even from close to there, actually. Well, I. I don't know where this rumor is coming from. I've I never thought you told me you were from Corpus. From... Like maybe that was somebody else. But um, <laughs> I think it was uh, Josh Stewart said something yeah. about that. What um, what what what, 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 uh, what was the first time you seen this movie? The first time I saw it, and probably the reason why I like it so much was this was one of those fabled uh, late night uh, cable television movies when I was pretty young, and so just all the themes of you know, the martyrdom and the, the teens fighting against the authority and all that stuff. It just really hit a note for me. I think I was probably 13 or 14 and it was on cable television. And, uh, I saw it from beginning to end commercials and everything, you know, back in the old days when we had to sit through those. And I still really just was really captivated by this story. And then it took me forever to track it down. And this was kind of my search. And the reason why I've, I've now seen, Christian Slater in so many movies because I kept trying to find this one and it just seemed so elusive for so for so long and then now it's on I think it's on well it's on Blu-ray now but I don't think it ever went to DVD I think it has a DVD but it's out of print because uh, that's okay. where they got the there's a commentary on the Blu-ray the five dollar Mill Creek job which you know they're putting those out. I I, I, uh, I respect them and uh, uh-huh. they put a commentary I think that direct, comes directly from the DVD that was probably way out okay. of print by now yeah. Yeah, I remember looking for it once I finally figured out what this movie was, and I'd see it for like two hundred bucks or something, you know, VHS tapes for a hundred bucks, fifty bucks. So it was just like, all right. And then it showed up on Netflix one day, and I was, you know, captivated once again, even though I was twenty five, twenty six years old. Hey, nostalgia kicks in, you know. I think so. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things about this movie that 
you know, kind of, kind of, I don't know, cringe a little bit. I'm like, Ooh, that's kind of cheesy or campy, but you know, seeing it from a more of a jaded eye, but I could still get that feeling of, you know, we're invincible. Like Joan Jett sings, uh, Pat Benatar or Pat Benatar. <laughs> I always get them screwed up. Who, who hates that song for some reason? I think it's a terrific song. You know, I love that song. I don't think she'll perform it live for people because she doesn't like it that much. No, it's it is kind of weird, a strange. I mean, I never you never hear it on the radio or anything. It's just like only for this movie, and uh, they play the instrumental version throughout. It's got kind of part, it's part of the score of the film, which I really enjoyed. Um, when she first comes out with her hair chopped up to look like Joan of yeah. Arc, you know the par- the parallels with with that character. All of a sudden, she's punk rock. Right. Now they call that dyke haircut. That's not this guy. She, you look good on her, you know. Looks good on Helen, yeah. Though it, it was kind of a little too stylized to look like what she did it herself. Looked like she came out of a salon. <laughs> but, nope, she was up in some bathroom with the scissors. She had, she had some product in there. She was uh, she was doing her do up real good, you know. Probably some moose, a lot of aquanet, you know, just to hold that shit together. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and I don't know where she got the uh, the purple and green jumpsuit top or whatever it was. But that looked pretty Pretty snazzy, I thought. Pretty 80s. Yeah, it's, this whole movie is pretty much dated, and, and I'm not complaining. I mean, I saw it just like you. I saw it on cable and uh, probably mm-hmm. on a TBS or a USA Up All Night. One of the one of those two places I seen it on. And uh, yeah, I, I was uh, I was still on a Helen Slater high from Supergirl, which isn't a very good movie, but she looked good in that suit, and it made it made the film experience go better and better. Because she was she was in yes. that Supergirl suit and everybody else is just hamming it up. <laughs> <laughs> I have very vague memories of that movie, but I do remember uh, being a huge Superman fan that I was a little let down something by Something about it. a fade Dunaway controlling the weather or something. I, I don't know. It was, yeah. it was very strange. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, this one, like you said, it was a little dated. I, I felt like at night it was very – there was a lot of pink and blue hues to it, like the, the neon colors. Um, I don't know where they were hanging out where all these, you know, neon pink, I mean, they were at the trailer park and they had that, those colors, uh, when they were at kind of the rich boy's house. I can't remember his name. They but... bought it at Spencer's Gifts. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> they got it. They, they was, definitely was... got that shit at the mall. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It, it was a cool atmosphere that it developed just through that because of, you know, I, I only lived through the eighties for five years of my life, but I still feel like. I'm a product of the '80s, and that's what I always turn to with my culture, and so I really enjoyed that. Oh, Hubie's daddy was not Stacy Keach. She just looked like Stacy Keach. It was uh, Richard Bradford was the actor's name. Oh, okay. I was kind of. I was like, okay. He looks. He looks. Like, I, I thought he looks the whole, like Stacy Keach, though. He does with that mustache, especially. I thought it was when you said that. I'm like, okay. I mean, it didn't take much to convince me because I thought it. He did look a lot like him, but. Yeah, just, I guess, a subtle difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't have, like, a butt chin or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, this movie managed to pull off, you know, what the other film does, what we're going to talk about next, you know, with just, like, uh, like with, like, the radio and stuff, just, just you know, promoting whatever they had going on, you know, the the exploits mm-hmm. of this, you know, un, un, uh, unwanted outlaw all over the nation, or all over yeah. Texas, at least, just running around, avoiding Peter Coyote, your your one cop that's in pursuit of her, you know. I love Peter. I love me some Peter Coyote. Oh, man, I, I, I hated him since E.T., you know, because he was that guy that wanted to take E.T. away, and, you know, 
the little kid be like, like <laughs> that's that guy's true. a fucking bastard, you know. That'll traumatize you on him, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've come around on him since he betrayed me with E.T. I, I just feel like whenever I see him in a movie, I'm I'm just into the I'm just into it right away. I don't know what it is about him. Yeah, I don't know what the deal with the '80s Yearly Smith was, you know, because when she's on screen and she's screaming Ooh. and stuff, it's it's pretty brutal, you know. In this uh-huh. Animax of Overdrive, which is a film I love too, but uh, she's rough, you know. <laughs> I feel like if there was a reason I wouldn't outwardly recommend this to people, um, unless I knew them well and knew what their tastes and what they could handle, I would kind of be apprehensive just because of Yardley Smith uh, and her abrasiveness. Uh, I didn't even think her humor was even that that funny. No, know. it was it wasn't at all. She, I'm saying she was a throwaway character because you know she was part of their motley crew or whatnot of you know runaways. Yeah, well, she was she was why like the the young one of the group. She was like 16 or, or I guess Christian Slater was pretty young. Well, in she, she had to be the young yeah. young one because she there, there's a scene unnecessarily where they say that she got her period finally. You know. Oh. So she had to be like 13 or something, you know? Yeah. Maybe. She doesn't look like she's 13. It was like right after they were getting shot at by a gun, and then all of a sudden she's bleeding, and they're, you know, it's like this entire thing like, oh my God, she was shot. Nope, it's just my period. And it's like <laughs> passing it off as humor, but it's just kind of like cringe. You want to cringe yeah. watching it. I don't know. It was it was a bit strange, but um, yeah, it. she's a little abrasive and hard to deal with, and, and the, her humor isn't that, that great, but... I can see why they stuck her in here. Uh, she's she's the girl who's grounded, and she's not supposed to be going out with the older kids, and she wants to go on this adventure with them and be a part of it, and she just kind of supposed to be the comic relief, but it just kind of flops. And I don't, I don't root for child abuse, but she was this annoying in this film that the part where her mother went and picked her up at the police station after they got busted, of course, but she yeah. slapped her. I want to like, like, yeah, that's just, that makes me giggle just a little <laughs> bit because you're so fucking annoying. And of yeah. course, she wants to cut her hair off and be like Billie Jean too. She gets a pair of scissors, and you know, you think she's gonna stab her mother, but she just uncontrollably starts cutting her hair off for no reason at all. Uh huh. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She, she yeah, was unnecessary. Was... <laughs> right. I, I feel like that whole concept of you know all the girls cutting their hair to be like Billie Jean. Um, I th- I thought that was kind of cool and effective. It seemed like it might have happened a little too fast in reality. Well, that's your, but... your your MTV generation. You know, right. they, they, I'm sure Billy Jean was all over MTV in this fictional movie. But um, these girls are all over the nation. I'm cutting my hair just like Billy Jean. Fair is fair, uh-huh. you know. And it, it, it's okay. You go do that, you know, because guys yeah. find that attractive on all girls, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we said, it worked for Helen Slater, but there were a couple of those girls. It was like, man, maybe you should have second guessed yourself. And uh, every cop in the the, the the state of Texas, he pull over every girl over with a short haircut, and you know, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> be a big yeah. old mess. I mean, I get get what they're going for with it. Uh, you know, when there was one line where they 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 ask, "Where's Billy Jean?" and uh, Ophelia, one of the members of this gang, says, "She's everywhere." And it's it's kind of cool. I don't know if it falls a little bit flat because it's a little cheesy too, but. Uh, I get what they're uh, going for, and it's that's the part of the much film. Much easier would have been, you know, without, you know, of course, Binks and Drag at the end going to pose as Billie Jean or posing as somebody. I think he's, he's posing as his sister for some reason in a uh-huh. long wig and a dress because that's what she wears. And, you know, you think there would have been like a, Spart- a Spartacus-type scene with all these girls with short hair. I'm Billie Jean. Yeah. I'm Billie Jean. You know, all this stuff like that. You know? 
Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of old kind of mythological uh, pieces to this film. Like you said, Joan of Arc, Spartacus, which is a good one. Um, I, I liked when they were kind of interviewing the people and they would talk about Billie Jean, even though they kind of came off as hammy with their acting skills. I don't know. They just look like they're right off the street. But I like that aspect because it's even though this was, what, 1985? Yeah, 1985. I thought that I thought that that. It still goes on, you know, to this day, 20 years later, still it's it's echoing this kind of society where it's very sensationalized. And, you know, people re- reporting getting robbed by Billie Jean simultaneously. It's like people want the, all this attention. They want to be part of the story uh, of this runaway fugitive teen gang that they'll just make stuff up, make themselves look like victims, which uh, once again, it was the, it, it was a good concept. I don't know if it worked in execution, but I really I like that part of it. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. Um, do, do you know who the DJ was that was on? It sounds like Don Steele, but I'm not sure. It really doesn't say in the IMDb who the who the DJ was. Like always on the radio, you know. Yeah, what did he keep saying his name was? Dang it, can't remember. I know it probably is not a, his real name, but um, yeah, he sounded familiar, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't know if we'd have to ask our our true Corpus Christi. <laughs> yeah. <sense>. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that was pretty neat to like talk to how the radio can like fuel that, and I'm sure he didn't see an MTV presence on there, but I'm sure it was all over that that deal. And yeah, just the power of you know, like like you said, the the, the martyr, the, this girl that's supposed to be the champion, which nobody has idea, nobody knows any idea really really happened to her except for her brother's suitor got damaged, and you know, she'll come back when this money's here supposedly. Nobody knows that she was almost almost got raped by this perv that, that owns this beach side shop and you know who's making a fuck ton of money on Billy Jean merchandise now. Yeah, I didn't totally get that. He was on you know half the time he was trying to get the police to track her down. He was calling him out for being you know bungling the case. Then on the other side of, of, of yeah the flip side, he's selling T-shirts and hats and posters of her that apparently one of the toughs you know he was out there with his camera taking pictures of her coming out of the, the water in her swimsuit. And so, of course, that's a top seller. Naturally, like you do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it worked for the marketing for the film as well, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's just sex sells, you know? <laughs> Come see this movie. Yeah. You get to see Helen Slater in a wet T-shirt. And it works just fine for me. You know, I'm just turning out there, you yeah. know? It's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's on the back of the D, uh, the Blu-ray cover, so obviously it, it Yes, works. indeed. Um. <laughs> Yeah, the other tunes of the film, I, I I love the use of Rebel Yell when they're doing their chase in the mall. That was that was fun. Yeah, yeah, the music in this, uh, like you said, the MTV feel to it was awesome. It just captured the time, you know, which is, which makes it uh-huh. kind of dated now. But I, I I still really enjoy it, you know, for everything that it's worth. You know, there's not there's not much wrong with it except for you know, right, yearly Smith and she can just go somewhere, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and I would never say Rebel Yell is dated. No, I wouldn't say that's dated at all. No, because no. I heard Billy. I heard we gotta we gotta crank that up every I now. I heard and Billy then. still puts out a pretty good show. So, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, and at every point we want to go out, you know, if I say I had a throwaway character, it would be Yearly Smith or or Keith Gordon's character in this movie, you know. But he, I guess, he's necessary for Billy Jean's love interest in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah, they need the love interest, and he's kind of. I mean, I didn't understand why they needed to to uh, pretend he was a hostage because that kind of goes against their whole – I mean, they leave IOUs when they take things from stores. They're very much, you know, still 
on the right side of the line when they're, you know, we don't steal cars, we don't do this. And then now he's like, let's convince them that you're taking a hostage, which is kind of a violent Well, that, act, that goes but. by the whole, you know, uh, rich boy, you know, wants to piss off yeah. his daddy so he's going to pretend he's going to kidnap by Billie Jean. And that, that's all that was because uh-huh. he, he had a nice setup in that house, you know. He did. Uh, yeah, that. what did you think of that, that scene when, you know, they're going around this house – and they thought it was empty, and all of a sudden there's this guy in this wolf mask creeping around. That thought was funny, you know. Yeah, I can't say it didn't fit the film, but it kind of didn't because you know you need to introduce that character somehow. And mm-hmm. there you go, there, there's there's Keith Gordon for you. Yeah, yeah, he just seemed weird doing that because it was like if I had intruders in my house, I wouldn't like walk around in a wolf mask and try to scare them. I would probably have a baseball bat or a gun, or just probably hide in a closet. That's probably more realistic. Yeah, I, I think so too. You know, especially in a house that that big, you you'd think it would have some kind of alarm system on it, but he's inside of it, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um. He's got the, he's upper, got the hand. upper hand for sure. You know. Oh, anything else you want to say about this movie at all before we move into the next one? Uh, no, I don't think so. I just, you know, this one is just one of those ones that maybe I watch through a nostalgic lens, with which kind of you know, changes it a little bit for me. If this is a first time watch, um, I would go in, you know, ready to expect Yardley Smith kind of setting you, I don't know, off kilter a little bit with her, her portrayal. But other than that, it's, it's a very fun, kitschy eighties movie and, um, there are dated aspects to it. So don't expect it to resonate maybe in modern times, but there are a few things in it. Like we said, that are still kind of modern and enjoyable yeah yeah that's for sure <laughs> uh, yeah and it's pretty available now even though it wasn't a couple of years ago so it's pretty easy to find and and watch and waste an afternoon and have a fun time with it yeah that's for sure you can get a pretty cheap on amazon i think it's like five five dollars uh, for yeah. the blu-ray on amazon right Milk- yeah which i didn't even know mill creek did blu-rays i just thought they were the big box set well, they just they put blue thunder on blu-ray which is kind of cool i'll buy that in a second yeah. you know it's <laughs> Oh boy! But uh, ratings, I guess. Um, yeah, what's what's your rating for this film, one through ten? Uh, well, I just looked at my IMDb, which I rated this movie years ago, and I gave it an eight out of ten. Um, watching it again recently and coming up with a few of those flaws that I noticed, I would still rate it pretty highly. Um, I would probably be on the high end of the spectrum, and I would still give it a a seven. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm right, I'm right there with the seven. It's not, it's not the okay. best thing to come out of the 80s, and but I, I, I do enjoy it. I pretty much watch it. Not watch it, but I watch part of it whenever it comes on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's it's good, it's good time for 90 minutes, however long it lasts. And, and, yeah, and it's just it just has this hidden gem quality to it where it's like if you see it, you feel like you're in on part of this fun, you know, little cult of Billie Jean. And, and I think, and I think that, if, you know, if you, if you have like a teenage girl, maybe like 13 or so, you want to let her watch cool movie from the '80s. This is a pretty safe one, mm-hmm. I think, because there's not a whole lot of dirty language in it. It just has like oh. you know, fun '80s stuff that maybe a kid would enjoy nowadays. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of knees to the groin, but other than that, not too much violence. Yeah. And it's got, yeah, a strong central female character, so it's got that going for it, which is is good for the the young girls out there. Uh, next film, not so much. I would recommend for young people to watch it because. <laughs> <laughs> they might start starting fires or something. Right. But um. Yeah, I mean, 
when it's like five minutes in and he's mimicking masturbation. It's like, all right. But um, yeah, we're getting into that. Um, right after this, what I thought was a lost review because I couldn't find the file. But uh, the next segment will be an interview, not an interview, a uh, review I did with Katie Ross for Wolf Creek 2, which is recorded, I don't know, a couple months ago because I thought I lost it. But you'll hear that uh, right after this. Regrets collect like old friends Here to relive your darkest moments I can see no way, I can see no way And all of the ghouls come out to play And every demon wants his pound of flesh But I like to keep some things to myself I like to keep my 
What the bloody hell are you buggers doing out here? <laughs> In this world, there's people like me. And there's people like you. Did you get hit? And people like me eat people like you. McDyla's a knife. Big shooter and outback legend. Expect to come to my country. Walk around like you own the bloody place. Come between a man and his meal and just work away. It's rough, ain't it? You're nothing but foreign vermin. A stinking introduced species. And it's up to my kind to wipe your kind out. Let's play, eh? You'll have to do better than that! Obviously don't know the first rule of the Outback, hero. You never, ever... <laughs> um, my first guest for this time around is somebody I never talked to on a podcast before, and I'm looking forward to talking to her. Uh, Miss Katie Rotz, how you doing, girl? I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, you're welcome. Um, thank you for coming. I sound so pretentious, like a pretentious ass. I say. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Um, just in case the folks don't know who you are, uh, tell the folks what your show is all about and what you do. Um, I host Rotten Rantings with my co-host Chris Robo. We do horror movies, and it's a theme every week. Sometimes the theme gets a little iffy, such as Grab Bag, where we you know, all pick a movie. But mostly we try and do theme movies. Um, it's a lot of times it'll be two movies that are actually thematically related and one for you know shits and giggles. You know, we have done a couple movies lately that aren't exactly horror, but yeah, our heart is horror, and um, we also like to rant about things, so RottenRantings.com, and you can find me everywhere under Katie Rots. I'm pretty easy to find. Okay. Yeah, so um, I asked you to choose a movie, and the film you chose was the sequel to Wolf Creek, uh, aptly titled Wolf Creek 2. Uh why did you choose this one to do out of all the movies you could have done? Um, I watched this when it came out on Netflix like two weeks ago, and I was really, really angry about it. And so I wanted to talk about it somewhere, and, and it came, this opportunity came up. Um, I did rewatch it, as I told you last night. So my feelings have slightly changed, but yeah, I was angry about it. And I, you know, when I watch a movie that I'm angry about, I always want to make sure I talk about it. So it wasn't for nothing. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I just watched the first one literally yesterday and watched the second one literally today for two two different shows so what did you give the first one i'm just curious oh what like we don't do ratings on i did it for 100 years of horror we don't do ratings on that show but if i had to give it a rating i, I give it a good seven out of ten yeah we i think me and rebel came in around eight out of ten on the first one so just to give you a level there okay but um 
Yeah, this one was um, it was different. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was very uh, very different feel. It, it almost felt like Texas Chainsaw Two to me, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I'm I'm one of those guys who's a fan of Texas Chainsaw Two over one. Uh, call, not over call, one, not over one. <laughs> call, call, call me crazy, but you know, I, I I just like the second one better than the first one. You know, I probably get a lot of hate for that, but you know, that's a that's a thing. So. <laughs> Well, do you want me to tell you what what my original beef was and then where I came to at the end of the last night after watching this? Oh, go for it. So, I don't really know what I expected when I watched this, but, you know, Wolf Creek 1 is very dark and plotting, and the killer is very scary, and there's not a lot of death, but what death they have is used very, very well. And so when I go into the sequel, it's like I'm expecting the same tone. However, if it was the same movie, I probably would be mad about that, too. But this movie goes completely off the walls. You know, it goes for more violence, tons of bloodshed, you know, lots of effects. And, you know, at first that really, really offended me. So, but upon rewatch, I would say... You know, that's the stuff I love in horror movies, to be fair. is that gore that, I mean, I'm the girl that loves Hatchet. I, I love that dark, gritty, like, practical effects. But even if you're looking at it as not a sequel, the last 45 minutes of this movie sucks balls. And they make him into such a wisecracking idiot, and his lair is terrible, and it feels like it's ripping off a million movies at the end. So... On first rating, I would say the movie sucked total balls. On second rating, I would say the first hour is very enjoyable if you like gore. What did you think? Um, I talked about this. If you guys want to listen, it'll probably be out before this episode on uh, the Phantom Eric show, 100 Years of Horror, that the first one was pretty, was had some nice setups, some nice exposition, and it made you care about the characters. Whereas you get a couple in this film that, you know, you you know very little about you know and they, except for they have little conversations here and there and all of a sudden they're they're gone and then, you know you you don't get that and then they death I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as an adjective they death they death proofed this sequel where they, <laughs> they, they they bump off this couple and then they move on to a whole other person and his adventures with Mick Taylor you know and it's it's wacky it doesn't have the same feel it doesn't have the same you know sense it has that sense of isolation a bit in this one, but not like you got the the handy cam action in the first one that really gave you that look of dread and desperation, and there was literally no escape in the first one. You felt like you were on his turf, and this is his domain, and there is no escape because of that. And this one, the guy, the guy, the main guy, Ben, I think his name is in this movie. Mick. His name's Mick. Oh, no, I mean the, the, the guy's chasing. Yeah, I think it's the guy's chasing. Yeah, I think he just seems like he's gets the upper hand too much, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I didn't really think of that, but you're right. Like in the first one, they're really just screwed. Like there's nowhere to go, and in this one, yeah, there's like all these chase scenes, and and some of them are ridiculous. Like he's in a jeep, but the guy's in like a fucking Mack truck, and he can keep up with him. Like oh, that's, ridiculous! It's ridiculous. That's that's every car Mick Taylor has, for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't it's, matter what it looks like; it can catch up with whatever the guy is driving. It could be driving a Maserati, and the fucking truck would have caught it. 
Every car he has has the power of Mad Max's interceptor. Okay, just you know, <laughs> give, give give him the high octane fuel, and he's good to go, mate. And yeah, he's just rolling down the highway in this rickety old truck. And this guy's driving a jeep, which could clearly outrun this truck. Yeah, clearly, but, and he doesn't get the upper hand until they start going up a hill, and it's like that makes no sense whatsoever. I could outrun a truck in my jeep any day. <laughs> But he's just, uh, he's, he's grinding them gears, and he catches up to him just to playfully run him off the road. Now, what about the beginning, though? Because I felt like the beginning of this, the gorehound in me was, like, squealing with joy, to use his uh, pig reference there. But um, the beginning of this, when the cops are harassing him, and they go to drive off, and he shoots the guy's head off, I was like, yes, that's so fucking oh. awesome. When the face came off, yeah, that was that was something special. That stuff I, was great. That, the gore level in this was absolutely great, I thought. But then the way that scene ended where, you know, he, he, he burns him alive playfully. And you see that the that seeds. Yeah, yeah. Not even the why. I mean, he did that in the first film. It's just, you know, the, 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 you get the great practical effects with the guy's face coming off. And then you get the great, not so great uh, computer effects of the guy burning. You just. Light the match and walk away. You you, you know you know what's gonna happen. Yeah, they, you don't they, need they, to they, show they, the CG. No. And the kangaroo CG was pretty bad too. I thought <laughs> the kangaroo. That's so hilarious. All of a sudden, like you know, he has all these mystical powers. In my opinion, all of a sudden he's Ace Ventura, pet detective. <laughs> he he can turn on in the jungle or whatever the song is called on the radio <laughs> and just call his kangaroo friends to come run across the road and distract him and you know so ridiculous and then he hits it and it looks so cg when they were hit the side of his car like i yeah my friend was like oh i love that kangaroo scene i was like i hated that kangaroo scene i thought that was terrible it was so silly it was. And it, it, it was so Aquaman, too, but without, you know, the fishes. You know, he, he called the little furry animals. <laughs> He's like Dr. Doolittle of the horror world. He can call so, he can call the animals. Now, I do think they had a chance to go back to kind of what they did in the first one when they put the hitchhikers into the story. And mm-hmm. I feel like they could have gone somewhere with that, but they end that scene so quick, and then... You know, he's, like, gutting the guy and pulling his dick off. And I'm like, this, yeah, he may have wisecracked a little in the first one. But in this one, they're trying to make him sound like Freddy, I think. They're just, every other line is like, oh, oh, he's just hung like a donkey. And I'm like, oh, man, come on. This is over the top. And, you know, he, he does lose his upper hand continually in this movie. You know, the girl escaping. And then when the guy escapes, somehow he doesn't find him for, like, a half a day or something, which didn't make any sense to me because the guy was injured and Mick wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, that made absolutely like no sense to me. I didn't get any of that. Uh, that whole chase scene from there, once they get to the house, is where I think this movie really loses it. Um, but I did like the beginning of this movie, and I, I will say that for the gore in it, it's definitely worth checking out. When he cuts that guy's head off, that looked awesome. Oh, yeah, it looked great. It did look, it did look very great. Yeah, yeah, but the, the 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 house, the house, and the the desert. <laughs> Where the hell they're at? How many houses could there be in the desert? And how did he lose him anyway? The, he had him in his sights, and the guy was injured and barely walking. And so, how did he lose him to begin with? Or did he let him go to the house to come to the house and kill his people? It just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, you need a sequel. This is a sequel, so you need more of a body count, and that's that's a rule. So you know. 
they gotta they gotta have that. They gotta have more people for Mick to kill. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and um, the, the whole time I, I had the whole Texas Chainsaw vibe, thinking that you know this nice this nice little couple took him in. They they washed his clothes. Yeah. And they they put him in bed and all this stuff. I thought that you know they were, like Mick was fucking with them. Like this was his mom and his mom and his dad or something. And you know. Yeah, I that, I thought it. Yeah, I didn't know if it was Mick's house or not because they're real creepy. Like they're very like you said like almost Texas Chainsaw feeling like type family where you're you're not sure if they're wearing you know people suits in the back or if they're really trying to help you out. They had the shots of the the soup or whatever the hell they were feeding him. Like you, you're, you're not gonna go anywhere till you eat. Like okay, they're gonna drug this soup. Yeah, or he's gonna he's, be eating something gross, or yeah, something is expected there. I think. And that never happened, and he just kills them, and then like takes him. And and this is my biggest problem with the whole movie is the last thirty minutes. Um, when I watched this movie the first time, I had written down because I wrote down my my thoughts before and then after, mm-hmm. and I thought this. And Lair scene lasted, lasted an hour because it feels like it lasted an hour, don't you think? Yes, yes, it does. So yeah, that where he's asking him questions, it feels like very much a ripoff of, um, you know, maybe Hostel or Truth or Die or uh, Would You Rather, where he's asking him the questions. It feels very yeah. like not original at all. Would you rather did it better though, in my opinion? Oh, absolutely! That's a great movie. I I get we give that a much higher rating. This movie, um, Truth yeah. or Die, if you haven't seen it, I would also give that one a better rating. Um, as well as Hostel, you know, it just felt like that though. You know, you're having the scene and their back and forth would be good, but it goes on for so long. I just don't know why they drug out. Like the beginning is so fast paced, and then the ending is like. Okay, now we're just gonna toy with him, and we're gonna. And it's not like the first movie because he's in this ridiculous lair that's like full of dead bodies everywhere, which makes no sense, you know. It's... Well, to, to be fair, some are still alive, you know. That was that was a nice jump scare, I guess. The... Oh, I didn't realize that was a girl from the first one because I haven't seen the first one in so long. Oh, I, I didn't I didn't recognize that, but that might have been a thing, you know. Oh yeah, I yeah. I just yeah. kind of casually watched it today. I really didn't take notes at all, you know. Yeah. So it's just. I'm sorry. I thought that's what you meant. About no, 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 no. All, all of a sudden, that that female popped up. I know. I had no idea who that was. I saw like a random girl that he had abducted. Yeah, yeah. That they and they look really bad, don't they? Like all the people in the lair look like, um, like if you were going to a Halloween haunted house type thing, like locally, you know, where you're walking through a barn. That's what that stuff looked like to me. It didn't look really good. Yeah, I, th- I thought that you know that it was really dark in there. So I guess they figured they could make the bodies look kind of mediocre, kind of like your lesser zombies in a in a, in a horror film, yeah, you know? Yeah. Those those background zombies, they they look slightly slightly less made up than the, the ones that are in the front. I guess it was they were going for that because you know for budgetary reasons or whatnot. Don't you think it would have been more effective if he would have taken him back to his place from the first one? Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, because that place was scary. I mean, there, I I haven't seen the movie in forever. I remember very clearly that there was a scene where he hops in the car, and it didn't make logical sense. I remember there was, like, some problem with it, but that's, there was, like, a real scary scene where he's in the backseat of the car when she tries to escape. And that whole garage was really creepy, and I feel like, you, you know, I just don't think that this guy, if you're picturing the guy from part one would have, like, 20, 30 dead bodies, like, chained up. I mean, he feels like a slow, methodical kind of killer. I don't 
I don't know. I just didn't buy this, you know. And it because of the makeup, because of the longness of the scene, it was it. It's not easy to buy into. I don't think. I, I mentioned Texas Chainsaw too earlier, and then I didn't need Nomland in this movie, and that that's what it reminded me of the whole time about uh, <laughs> Leatherface's underground or whatever. Oh, yeah. in, in the in the mountain palace thing that he had going on there. It's like, where did this come from? This makes no sense. So like this is where he brings all all the all the empties, I guess, that they, to hide all the bodies because they said there was no traces of any any people that were. were of course, they had to bring that up at the end that this is a, he was. This is a true story. Yeah. He was put away in the mental institution. He's listed as current resident and blah 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 blah. How blah, did yeah. uh, part one end? Can you refresh my memory? Part part one ended with um. The male, I guess the male lead, I guess you would call him, the guy that went away about 20 minutes, like about 40 minutes into the movie, only to be spiked to a wall, like like crucified to a wall, and then he escapes. And then he, he this the same deal, he gets, he gets pretty much accused of the crimes okay. of killing those girls. So they kept that part the same. It would be interesting yeah. to have him come back in this movie. Um, I also, like, do you remember at the beginning, there was some comment, like, what are you doing this far north? Like, I, like, they were putting these, uh, plot things in, but they don't pay off because it doesn't ever tell you, like, why. You know what I mean? Why would they make such a big deal out of that if they weren't going to play to that later in the movie? It's, like, a plot that doesn't make sense, I think. And it's an hour and 45 minutes, so they could have cut out some of the plot that didn't make sense. It's a bit long. Yeah, we we just did we just did a commentary for Two Thousand Maniacs, the Herschel Gordon Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. Yeah, and um, they could have cut fifteen minutes out of that movie too, just for all the just for all the boring talk in that movie. Yeah, I feel like a horror movie shouldn't aim to be more than an hour and a half. I feel like that's a a reasonable amount of time to be invested in a horror movie. It really you have to be really good. For me to go over an hour and a half and be like, okay, I can justify the length of this film. And I think comedy should be that way, too. I mean, that's not really the way society is going as far as comedies and dramas go. But I think that as a genre, we need to keep it tight and short, you know, some deaths, get your story out there. Um, Unless it's something really complicated. Like, uh, did you see Triangle? I heard about it, about the one one on the boat, right? Yeah, that movie, I think, is a little over an hour and a half. And it it makes sense to be. You know what I mean? It's a psychological thriller. I would tell you about it, but if I say anything, I ruin the movie. You should definitely check that out. Yeah, you should definitely check that out. Um, But it, it does. A lot of movies, you can just, you look at it, and you're like, you can cut 10 minutes out of this, and to cut 10 minutes out of it might make it a more enjoyable movie, you know? It helps. It definitely helps it flow better, because like you were saying, that whole end part where, you know, Mick is interrogating you know, him or asking him questions basically to mess with him that really didn't go anywhere. Yeah, and you know? oh, he happens to be a historian. Well, that's convenient, you know. It's very it's very convenient, yes. <laughs> We needed to build that into the story. And they, where was he going? They, he was driving out in the middle of the woods, and he got confused when town was like an hour away or so, but... Where was he going then? What was he doing out in the middle, of the, like the middle of the desert? I didn't understand that either. Well, he was he was a tourist, so I don't know if he was going to go see all these creeks like the, the the kids in the first movie were going to go see. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't I don't know if he was like because he had a, he had a whole map. 
of, you know, where all these different things were, so maybe he was just exploring the outback. And when he when he stopped alongside the road and asked for help, I'm not real sure why he did that either, because I thought, okay, he must be out of gas, because that's why he's asking for help. Why else would he just stop his car when he's running from a madman? But then he got back in his car, and it was fine. So mm-hmm. why was he looking for help? Did that make any sense to you? Well, well he was running out of gas, clearly, because that was in a... That was a, that in, the, in that crazy kangaroo scene where, you know, he kept staring at his gas gauge. Yeah, yeah, but then he made it how far on that, you know what I mean? When he started running from him, he made it pretty far. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just thought that was, like, a little bit strange. But, again, you have to have um, Mick catch up with you. And that was a fun scene, you know, where, um, <laughs> uh, here's your budget. <laughs> that that, that, that big-ass truck. Scene, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That <laughs> looked really good yeah that didn't it didn't look fake at all it looked like they actually did the whole scene and i thought that looked pretty good i mean the dude's kind of indestructible you know like he goes through a lot and just keeps on going but I, you know he's got this this guy who apparently can outrun him in any car can ride a horse has a lair oh, yeah. that happens to be close enough that if he catches him on horseback he can take him back to you know, so, and the scene where he's throwing the, the liquor out so that he doesn't end up drunk or whatever, I get it. Um, it was a little heavy-handed because it's not like he was getting him drunk. They had, like, two drinks or whatever, but I, I get it. You're trying to set something up. I will say, I love the scene with the spikes where he tries to outsmart him. I thought that was really, yeah. really smart. I like that a lot. I was like when they release the hounds too in a movie, and he he has that in this movie. He has I think he has a Rottweiler and a bull mastiff that he just says, "Ah, fuck it," and he he, he lets them loose to go find them. And which is scary because dogs like that, especially trained by a madman, aren't really something that you want to mess with. They don't really have a lot of logic to them. So because he probably hasn't fed them for about two weeks. Yeah. So you know you know they're freaking hungry for for whatever they can get their their paws on, and you know, but then they pulled the great. Uh, which I call the rancor gag, where he, he drops the gate on one of them, the other one just runs away. <laughs> um, help me remember, at the end when they say that he was accused of attempted murder, they did say they didn't find the lair, right? Yeah, they didn't find any, they, they didn't find any trace of it again, just like they said in the first film. Well, and just to be fair, one of the things that didn't make sense to me um, was earlier, when he shot the girl in the face, which again, nice score, very practical, Looks mm-hmm. great. Um, when he shot her in the face, why he dropped her off somewhere? I mean, I understand that you don't want a dead body in your car, but on the same token, you have to be setting up a case so that if the cops do find you, you're like, look, dude, this guy was shooting at us. Instead of just leaving her in the middle of the woods in a sleeping bag, I, I just didn't... I thought that that didn't make sense to me. I Would you have kept the girl in the car? Well, well technically, he has... No, no weapon. I mean, forensics will tell you that you know they'll know what kind of bullet killed him, and obviously he doesn't have this giant hunting rifle in his truck that that he could even have the capability of firing these rounds. I doubt he'd have any weapons at all. So to say that you know this girl got shot in the head, the first question they're going to ask because she got she got her DNA all over that truck is you know where's the murder weapon? You know because you could spot off about a mad spot off about a madman in the outback all you want to. That they mean they're going to believe you, and that that's proven time and again in the first one and the second film that there's no trace of this guy and there's no trace of these bodies. There's no trace of anything that happened. It's just a one word of one guy saying that all this has happened. Yeah, and <laughs> don't go to Australia. So, I think is a, is the theme of this. 
So, so if you ride with a with a with a with a bleeding dead bitch, you know, it's riding shotgun. You know, hate to use that, that term. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> that's they're they're gonna look at you like crazy. Like you, you killed this girl, didn't you? You know, especially if you're he he's from the U, he's from the UK. You know, he's, he's a tourist in Australia, so he's already an outsider. So you get this outsider with a dead girl sitting in, in the side seat there, and you tell the police, you know, some 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 guy sh- shot her from like a thousand yards away because that's one thing this movie was missing. But that the first film had did really great is the hunter hunting the prey aspect of it, right? Because he he used that to his advantage his his environment, the landscape, everything in that first movie. And I, there's a great scene. There's a great scene. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and and in the first one, I feel like I mean I haven't seen it in a while, but I feel like it was way more believable, the things he was doing versus like this whole Mad Max thing. You know, in the first one, it was like he wasn't doing anything crazy. He just knew where he was, and he knew how to take out people who didn't know where they were. Yeah, that that was missing from this one. It was pretty much just you know, I don't know. This was was more exploitation than the first film because it was more. Crazy pants with the the killings and you know, like I said, sequel higher higher body count, so you're gonna get that in this movie. So I I, I expected this. In, well, the one thing that pissed me off is my the person I was talking to about this said to me, "Oh, the interrogation scene feels very the loved ones," and I I gave the loved ones a ten, and I don't mm. feel like this is ripping off the loved ones at all. And if it did, it was no. so poorly done that I didn't see it. You know what I mean? The, the loved ones was a ninety minute interrogation scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't stop this one, which was, was really cool. When he was he had his his hands in the vice grips and he in the vice and uh, grinding down his fingers with with, with the grinder. That was kind of cool looking. I'm not gonna don't get me wrong, but the loved ones is a whole new level to me in in that kind of genre, and I would never compare the two. Did would you did you rate the loved ones high? Because that depends. I, I I never got to review it, oh, okay. but I I've seen it and I would rate it high. Okay, then we can still be friends. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I gave that a nine point five when I reviewed it, and I actually it's probably one of the only movies that I went back and changed my rating on, and I changed it to a ten. But I don't feel like these movies feel at all related, other than the fact that they both come from the same country. So mm. that now the scene when you're talking about. If it had been shorter, I think that, yeah, it would have been effective. Him taking his fingers off and stuff, I thought was was really good. But um, and the way that they extended it out, I mean, I even liked when they were singing. I thought that was interesting, you know, but it just went too long, I think. I think they could have just used a little bit of editing. Whoever did this just needed to cut it back a little and I know you said in the first one he wisecracks, but I think that the amount of wisecracking he does in this is just... A little bit over the top, you know. Oh, it's, it's way it's way over the top, yeah. Because he does he does just a little bit in that first movie. And you you mentioned like you know the drinking scene. It's like it's like almost like they were bonding on like a an intellectual level. Yeah, yeah. And I I really didn't believe the churn after you know he went to go back to be sadistic again when he's playing his uh, let's play Australian quiz show or fuck he's playing and you know. You're basically answering questions for your life. Like you said, he's he's automatically a history major, so he knows all the answers to these questions pretty much. Yeah, because otherwise the scene would have gone nowhere. <laughs> and the, the, the the worthless get at at the end where he, where he at the end of that scene where he uh, gets loose and he slams Mick with a hammer. 
and then all of a sudden he just told him the answer to the cricket question. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you just say it before he grinded your fingers off, asshole? <laughs> it, it tends to hurt a lot when they grind your fingers you, off. You really don't want to do that. <laughs> I do like um, when he's – the one part in there I liked was when he's coming for him and the water is pouring down through the – through the roof and he's like washing his face off just talking to him i thought that was pretty cool but there there's not a lot like you gotta gotta grasp to any little thing you can like during this end scene because there's just not a lot there for you so um i would say you know i if you like gore i would say to, to watch it i think but you know, if you're looking for something that re- is recognizable to the first one, you're not going to find that at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Not that I didn't like this movie. I, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, Wolf Creek 2. It was aight. That's my rating, okay? I'm just throwing it out there. No. <laughs> no, but much, not really. That's pretty much my rating. <laughs> Did you like this le- uh, more or less than the first one? I like it less because it didn't have that that sense of isolation and the the hunter hunting the prey is good. It's, 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 it sounds kind of stupid, but you know that's what I liked the most about that first film is that that they they had that forty minutes where some folks but it might take some folks out of that film. Yeah, it's a little uh, slow. The, the whole getting to know you thing, and I think that's important. It's like the whole Dawn of the Dead, the original versus Dawn of the Dead, the remake, where you got four people who you get to know throughout the whole film, you tend to care about it more than about 20 people inside of a mall, you know, I hate that really don't have character development really all that much. I hate to admit this because I'm like the only person in the world that likes Dawn of the Dead remake better than the original. I know, shame. Well, you're, not, you're not the only one, and I'm not, I'm not matching for that. <laughs> shame. You're, you're entitled to your opinion, even if, <laughs> even if it's, you know, iffy in my opinion, but you know, I, I respect it nonetheless. No, but you're right. It is. It's a different means of storytelling. And that's why I said I tried to go into this a second time looking at it as a film and not a sequel. Because sometimes I think that makes a big difference. You know, sometimes it doesn't. Like, for example, you know, Texas Chainsaw, the first one, is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, other than Fight Club. But horror related, I would say, is Texas Chainsaw. And I went and saw Texas 3D, and I was literally mad, like yelling mad, out of control, would not rate it, refused to rate it, did not rate it to the next cast. And that's one of those movies you can't separate and go, okay, let's just look at this as a movie that's not Texas Chainsaw because it's shit anyway. So I think that there's something to be said for being able to separate yourself out. And in this one, I think it's possible to do, but it was probably harder for you because you watched the first one yesterday. And well, not really. No? Because <laughs> no. for me, it would have been a lot harder to do. If I didn't watch it twice, I don't know if I would have been able to do it. Because I was like, this is not what it's supposed to be. I was gleeful, though, at, at the beginning of this movie with the, the death that was going on. And, you know, I, higher body count is always better. You know, Friday 13th is one of my favorite series. The more people that die, the happier I am. And the more gory and gruesome the death, the the happier I am as well. So they gave me some of that in this movie, and for that I appreciate it. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get everything you say. And um, yeah, a higher body count is important to the sequel, and you, you you want that, and I can see why they went that way. But yeah, you say that you know, don't treat it like a sequel, but it's kind of really hard when you know Mick <laughs> Mick Taylor. It's still in the movie. Uh, Still in the movie, and he was so well established in that first film, which is very low budgeted, but it made a bunch of money. So I guess they upped the budget on this one, and um, it shows. It shows in the filmmaking that you know they used 
better cameras and you know it was, it was filmed like 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 a film a Hollywood film would be filmed. Yeah, it you looks more it. professional, but I think that takes away from kind of like the original story too. So it does. It definitely does. And I, like I said, I mean, I think that if it had been just like the first one, I probably would have been mad too because it would have been like, oh, you already did this. So I don't really. I don't know. I don't think Wolf Creek needed a sequel, I guess is what I'm saying. That's a double-edged sword, really, because I, I liked it for what it was. And By the way, those people that talk about that Texas Chainsaw 3D, you know, treating it like just a regular movie and not a sequel, are the same folks that told me to watch Die Hard 5 like it's not part of the series, and it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 3D, that was... I, I don't think I've ever been angrier about a movie on my podcast than that movie. Um, I, yeah, I refused to rate it. I did rate it later, but I was just so mad. And I fell asleep in the theater, which I never do. I never fell asleep in the theater, so I had to watch part of it again, which made me even madder. So, yeah, that's, that's one of those casts where, you know, sometimes you just get carried away and you don't realize how angry you are. And then at the end, you're like, holy shit, man, I shouldn't have been yelling during that cast. Especially because my co-host agreed with me. It's not like somebody was on there saying, no, this is good. But I got all hyped up about that. So It'll probably be like my Lords of Salem rants are. My notorious Lords of Salem rants. I didn't make it through that movie. I tried, but I didn't make it through that movie. So are you just a Rob Zombie hater? Or do you just... No. No, I just don't think he's very good at what he does. And, you know, except for for Devil's Rejects, I think the rest of his stuff is just kind of mediocre. Yeah, see, I like Devil's Rejects. I liked House. And I I liked Halloween 1. I know that's, that's, you know, an unpopular opinion. But Halloween 2 was not good at all. And the beginning of Lords of Salem didn't do it for me. I'm going to check out his new movie, though, and give him a chance. I think that he can do it. I think he needs to recast his lead lead female, maybe. <laughs> Might help a little bit. See, the, the problem I got with House is the story is terrible, but you can't help but love the characters, and that's what, what carried over to Devil's Reject so well. Yeah, yeah. Is that you love those characters, but they actually wrote a competent script I, that you could follow. I will say Rejects is his best film. I will agree with you on that. I think it's his strongest film. And you do. You totally identify with the characters. It's funny. I met the guy who plays Otis in person, and I said, oh, <laughs> I said to I've him. Met, I've, met, I've met Mr. Rogers countless times, yes. That's what I call him. Oh, okay. Well, when I met him, I looked at him, and I go, I really liked your pants and Devil's Rejects. <laughs> I know what else to say, but I really liked his pants. And he was like, they kept ripping during filming. And I was like, okay. So that was like my entire conversation with him. But, you know, again, in some fucking sick, twisted way, he looks somewhat attractive in that movie. So I really don't know how. Like, it's not real. It's, it's, it's funny. The first time I seen Bill Mosley, I was working with a friend. He's a vendor at those shows. This, this is why I call him Mr. Rogers. Because he was in, like, regular, like, old man clothes. He was wearing a sweater. He was wearing, it was, it was November. He was wearing a scarf around his neck. I was just waiting for him to start singing It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because, you know, he just seemed like this really normal-looking guy in person. He doesn't look anything like Otis in person. Nothing oh, I like, would hope not. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be scared. I, <laughs> I would rather him look like Otis in person, to be honest. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that was my that was my one interaction with him. Um, but, no, I, I on the Rob Zombie rant, I will – I think that his new movie will be interesting, so we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. And maybe one day I'll finish Lord of Salem, and maybe I'll agree with you. I probably will. That's 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 your that's your it's your journey. That's <laughs> it's probably the most split camp film that I think in the past ten years is Lords of Salem. 
Yeah, I've heard people listed as their number one of the year, and then a lot of people say no, no. Uh, most of the people who I tend to agree with that I listen to in podcasting did not like it. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm probably not going to like that movie. So. And then there I go again, talking about Lord of Salem, something I said I wasn't going to do anymore. I said, you know, <laughs> it, it happens. I got you, you know. off topic. It's my fault. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to say about Wolf Creek 2? Uh, no, I think that that pretty much covers it. All right, yeah. I'm going to change up the rating system on my show because it's more appealing to my international listeners. Uh, probably very few and far in between. But I think the 1 to, 10, 1 to 10 scale is more appropriate for those people rather than A through F. So on a 1 to 10 scale, Katie, what do you give Wolf Creek 2? Well, I was prepared for a letter grade because that's what you were doing before, but that's all right. Um, again, I gave Wolf Creek 1 about an 8. I would give this a f- uh, 6. Okay. Yeah. I'm right there with you with the 6. I, I did, it's, it's very, I'm not saying middle of the road, but it's very, it's above average. It's watchable. Yeah. I mean, I... I don't think even if you love the first one, I don't. I think you can watch this one with a different hat on and get something from it. But I, you know, in my world, an eight is a buy, whereas a five and up is a rent. So for me, this is a rent and not anything more. It's on Netflix uh, instant, so you got nothing to lose. All you got to lose is an hour and forty-four minutes of your time, and you know. <laughs> If you could say, hey, I want my hour and 44 minutes back, you can't have it back because time doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, so if, you, if you're if you very precious with your time, maybe you don't want to watch this. But if you're like the rest of us who just consume horror, yeah, go ahead and check it out. It's 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 worth a watch at least, at least once. And I appreciate you for having me on because I wouldn't have watched it twice. And I definitely got more out of it the second time when I wasn't, you know, angry about it, you know. And I was with my husband and... You get in that group mentality, you start getting upset, and then you start bouncing off each other all the reasons that you dislike it. It's the same thing as podcasting, you know what I mean? You can you can go in with the rating, and you start talking about something, and your rating might change, you know, just based on hearing other things that people say that you may have missed during the way, so. I, I think it might have got a full point higher for me, just for the one scene where uh, Mick is cutting up the body for for. for... I guess for for eating, I guess, because he seemed like he was really rendering it down. And I fall to pieces. My Patsy Klein was playing on the radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that gives it a whole extra point for me. You know, that was great. So it would have been a five, but the Patsy Klein thing bumped it up a point for me. <laughs> I was like, that's a great song choice. I love it. But yeah, then we had the the Doctor Doolittle moment right afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thanks for having me on. I I enjoyed reviewing this movie, and you know I've never been on a show before, so I definitely I'm I'm all about it. It's been too been a it's been too long. I, I, I try to contact everybody, you know, but I I'm a I'm a moron sometimes, and I forget things. So I apologize. Well, I know I'm glad that we finally you know connected. We'll have to do this again sometime. Maybe you can come on to our show and uh, you know have to review three movies in one cast. <laughs> well, anytime, you know. Cool. I'm always, I'm always open to watching new things, so... Well, we watch a lot of bad stuff, so I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, uh, yeah, anything where they can tell you where they can, uh, where they can find you on the social medias or whatnot, you, could, uh, you got anything to push, you can do that now, too. Uh, yeah, just the RottenRantings.com and Katie Rots, and we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. 
and check us out. Let me know if you like our stuff, if you don't like our stuff, if you have anything to add. We always like feedback. Um, you know, and I won't push for iTunes comments on here, but I painfully ask for them on my show. So, but thank you again for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, thank you for coming on. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. You think about it. Everything's polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. Good guys. We were on uh, 92 FM tonight. It feels like a nice, clean little band. No one else is using it. Price is right. Are you listening to this? Yeah, of course I'm listening. There's nothing to do anymore. And all the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks. So I don't really find it exactly cheerful to be living in a totally, like, exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. He's got a pirate radio station. Nobody knows who he is. I, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you and when you turn around and he just looks away he never looks back at you again this is a song for the 90s welcome to Dorina Central may I take your order please yeah I want that was deep I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited like a dirty thought and a nice clean mind I know you, not your name, but your game. Come to me, or I'll come to you. So you are him. Guess who? It's me again with a little attitude for all you out here in Whitebird land. It's 10 o'clock. Do you care where your parents are? This radio person is the whole problem. Are we going to allow this guy to be heard by anyone who can turn a dial? And he's trying to tell you that there's something wrong with this school. Hey, what you want to slam? It's all dumb. Get out of here. Get out of control. Why not do something crazy? It makes a hell of a lot more sense than blowing your brains out. FCC, you know what that means? This phone call has been traced. This is my life you're screwing around with here, you know? Not anymore, it isn't. This is everyone's life. Mark, you can't leave it like this. You out there? You listening? Pump up the volume from 1990. Uh, cheap synopsis. Cheap synopsis. Mark runs a pirate radio station and causes an uproar when he speaks his mind and enthralls fellow teens. That's pretty accurate, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to say it in one sentence, that's yeah. pretty good. Uh, yeah, this film for me is, is a film that I saw uh, pretty early, you know, for, from, a, from a curmudgeon asshole now that I am that hates this Gen X culture that was, that was taking place, just starting back in those days, you know. I'm one of those guys uh-huh. that despises reality bites. Consists of a bunch of privileged assholes who don't care about anything, and this is kind of a bunch of privileged assholes that don't care about anything either. But they they have something uh-huh. to say about it. In reality, yeah. bites they really didn't have anything to say about it. You know, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the setting where this was just you know some no name place in Arizona. You can kind of have you have this feeling of they were isolated and they had something going on with them that was kind of weird and off kilter and strange. 
and then as you come to learn, you know, throughout the film, um, what's going on, then you realize, yeah, this, it's good that they had a, a voice standing up for them. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, what do you think about this film? And like, when was the first time you saw it? This was actually my first time watch. Uh, it was one of those Christian Slater films that I always heard about. And, uh, as soon as I found out it wasn't the legend of Billie Jean, I kind of skipped it, which is kind of a shame. I'm kind of wish I had seen it earlier. Uh, when I was in the right frame of mind, maybe for it, uh, coming to it now, uh, I, I still liked it, you know, 25 years ago, or yeah, this was what, 25 years ago. Yeah, pretty close. No. Oh yeah. 1990. 19, so yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the world was still, you know, one inch away from being fucked. And, uh, you know, Gary, just like, uh, him, you're the voice of the people and you're the voice that people are waiting for. <laughs> so that's. That's what I thought when I was watching it. I'm like, ah, this this movie's about podcasting. Yeah, that, that's 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 kind of the appeal of it, you know. It's to, to do it for this show and or any other show, really, you know, to cover this film. I mean, it could be, you know, pretty much this is the birth of it, really, of this yeah. guy doing his thing. Not over because the internet wasn't even wasn't even happening in 1990, so right. he had to do get a cheap a cheap shortwave radio that his parents bought him to talk to his friends back east and mm-hmm. start up playing. Awesome. That's the thing that stands out. I mean, we've filled the most is the awesome tunes and that you know, I think he starts his show with a Nick Cave song, which I can get behind. You know, because I I learned to like that guy from the Natural Born Killer soundtrack. Oh, Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. I'm sorry. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of somebody else. Nick, Nick Cave is a uh, somebody else. Yeah. Nick Cave. Yeah. He. They sound pretty similar. They have that deep baritone voice. Um. Yeah. Leonard Cohen. Uh. He had a. I think he had another song in in this one too. And it's like I just. As soon as I heard those, I you know this film endeared itself to me because I love Leonard Cohen, and uh, I I just yeah I think I would almost enjoy the soundtrack to this film more, you know if I if I had to choose between purchasing the movie or the soundtrack, I might even get the soundtrack. I just really enjoyed the the music in this one, uh, the the story itself, uh, even though like we said it's kind of hits close to home with us and you know hard Harry he's kind of this sex maniac or at least that's who he portrays so that's pretty accurate to most podcasters I think. oh definitely I, I i get ass all the time man i got a <laughs> pussy flat on my bedroom window right now <laughs> i bet yeah this i mean he's got this wide spectrum of of listeners he's got the yuppies listening to him and the this yale hopeful girl i guess she's not really hopeful she's just kind of getting pushed into it by her daddy but it's it's very generational and uh as Stated from the last film, I I really into that sort of thing. I really like, you know, Catcher in the Rye was you know one of my first the first books I ever fell in love with, and then later on in life when I started reading Brett Easton Ellis and his type of his books like Less Than Zero and Rules of Attraction, it was like this this lost MTV uh, generation that didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives and uh, they were sick of what their parents were telling them to do. But this was kind of an odd odd period in 1990. It was after all the drugs and sex and politics of the, of the eighties. And I think uh, Christian Slater's character, I can't, I could never keep it straight. If it was hard, Harry or happy, Harry, uh, I think it, I think but, it was happy, hard, Harry, or it was something like that, you know? Yeah. But yeah, he's like, he's talking about, you know, we're all waiting for something new to happen to us. You know, we're all, you know, sitting around and waiting for it to happen. We don't know what we're on the brink of, but we're on the brink of something. And, that kind of, I mean, in hindsight, looking at it, it was like, yeah, that, that's kind of true. It was like the 90s was a lot of sitting around, waiting around for something to happen, which sadly I think it kind of did in, in 2001 with 9-11. Yeah. 
that kind of changed the whole landscape of everything. But the nineties was just kind of like this, this generation of kids is like, Oh, now what do we do? It's the eighties are over. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you had the whole generation of kids, you know, once they graduate high school, where do they go from there? You know, is, is college for you? You got that problem now. Is college for me? And I, I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, college isn't for everybody. You know, our, our current president thinks everybody should go to college. And I, I think that, I think they said the best in Caddyshack. The world needs ditch diggers too. And, you know, yeah. if you do, you do manual labor, you know, it's good money. You know, well, you, you, you can get it. But, you know, I don't, I don't have the cognitive capacity to go to college. So I'm, I'm, I'm right <laughs> with them. I don't have, yeah. I wish someone would have been around like him to tell me before I went to college to, you know, uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to get educated, you know, go for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not against education. It's just higher education is, is not for me, you know, cause I have the attention span of a gnat sometimes much like, much, much like right. most of the kids in the school, in this, in this movie, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. There's there, even going to just like a Votech or community college. There's so much more you could find and that will get you just as nice of a job as you know someone a bachelor's degree is nothing nowadays it's just the new diploma this is the new high school diploma it with like an added fifty sixty thousand dollar tab and it's just like i wish i you know didn't have that bill every month the student loan bill and i would have just gone to you know and figured out my future instead of just doing what i thought was expected of me which is kind of what you know tying it back to this is like what he is trying to wake these kids up to like you don't have to do everything that's planned out for you or that you think is planned out for you. This is, you know, your time to take it for yourself. Well, the character itself, you know, Christian Slater plays a kid named Mark who's forced to move into this uh, almost planned community because it's just like it's, mm-hmm. it reminded me so much Over the Edge. If you've seen that movie before with um, Matt I'm... Dillon and um, Jan Michael, I think Jan Michael Vincent's in it, I think. Okay. That sounds familiar. Basically, yeah, the, we did an episode way back in episode ten. Me and Corey Graham, it, the same kind of deal. They had this 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 community in the desert, which is a planned community, and the all all the the, the the law enforcement, the parents were against the kids, and so the kids eventually revolted in the end and locked all the parents in the school. They didn't burn it down or anything, but they basically had their own fun in protest of them shitting on the kids all the time. And this yeah. is this is next level shit because they actually had people, this principal in the administration, and the the, the the guidance counselors weeding out these kids that they deemed bad or different or they had low SAT scores and they would expel them and find a way to expel them just to keep funding up or make their school look better or whatever was going on in this totalitarian school, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a lot of this movie is sitting around and you're trying to figure out what is going on and why he's lashing out at these these adults, and it it kind of comes to a head towards the end. Um, yeah, where they're they're I think the principal says something like she has the highest SAT scores in the the state or something, and she wants to keep it that way. And it's like, well, I mean, not that I need to have the mystery solved right away for me, but it was like that part of it would have made, I guess, the beginning of the film a lot easier to understand or figure out what, why all these kids were acting out this way, why, you know, the girl who was going to Yale threw all her stuff in the, the microwave and let it explode on her face. Yeah, it, it, it had a big explosion there. Why would you yeah. throw your aqua in there? That's all I'm saying. That, that probably caused a big explosion in the whole microwave. Yeah. Yeah, don't put, you know, anything in in a microwave that uh, includes, you know, a pearl necklace because that just is going to act like shrapnel. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, take out your no, eye. Oh, man, it'll be bad. But, 
yeah, it was, it was, that's the only, I guess, gripe I had with this film is like, why? And there's a lot of talk um, from Hard Happy Harry's perspective, but it's like, what is he exactly lashing out about? I mean, obviously, I know something's amiss with this school and this guidance counselor and the principal, but it's like I didn't really understand what they were up well, to. Well, the reason why I had all this information anyway, because his father was like the new, like, school administrator or like district uh, administrator right. or something. So he had all these phone numbers, like crank called the guidance counselor to say, you know, why did you expel <laughs> this girl? Cause she didn't want to get an abortion and stuff like that. And you know, it's mm-hmm. so in a way, you know, he's all a part of that, that the school system, which is basically cheating these kids out of an education and, you know, just so they could have a, a more happy and productive school. But none of those kids are happy in that school. They're, they're all, they're all listening to Harry at 10 o'clock at night on the hot 92 FM and, you know, and, <laughs> and they're all doing what he says. They're not listening to the administration to do what they say. Cause they're all, especially, you know, the, the, the kid that commits suicide who, who listens to Harry's show and looking for guidance and, and he's trying to give it to him about, you know, the kid offs himself like you do in the early nineties and, you know, and that, that, that's the thing in this movie. And that, that's, that that sparks that throws more gasoline in the fire of the the minutia of hard hard happy Harry and he's that, that yeah it's 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 really it, 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 I'm not saying this film it, it speaks to me but I can see I can uh-huh. see where you know you got a group of kids in this this case a whole school who can't trust adults to save their lives because of all the stuff that's going on so the only person they have to turn to is this this messiah on the radio who's telling them all these things. He's, he's like a little he's like a little mini Hitler, just you know, talking on the radio, yeah. telling these kids to you know, tear down the yeah. walls, you know, speak your mind, blah 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 blah. Another generic uh, political statement coming at you, kids, you know. And, and I think I, I yeah, think, I think he means well, but then you know, of course, you know, shit shit goes down, which makes him doubt what he's saying to these these young impressionable kids. Yeah, and I think that was the only. Like I said, the only problem, because it was like a lot of the beginning was were these these long. I think there was one speech he had was like 10 minutes long or 10 minutes straight. And then it was just like, what is he getting? What's his point? What's he talking about? I think he's talking to a kid who was about to commit suicide and he's just kind of going off on this rant. And then the kid ends up committing suicide anyway, which is, you know, it kind of hits him hard. And it kind of it's like this blow on his character, which was kind of a an interesting moved for his development as a character but it was like it kind of proved that a lot of the stuff he was saying was just kind of blowing hot air yeah a lot, a lot of it was a lot of it was yeah so that's that's kind of what kind of rubbed me the wrong yeah. way towards the beginning of the film and then once it all started coming together i was like okay yeah you know with the exception of him like talking to like the administrators or like talking to these mm-hmm. random kids on the phone and you know, helping out the 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 kid who didn't know who he was sexually and all this other stuff and which yeah. that, that was all, all really good things that he did for these. He, he did a lot of good things for these kids. They did the good outweigh the bad, you know. Yeah. Because it, it gave him a voice, you know, like like you would have like your your current you know administration, whether it be like either our presidency or you know your mm-hmm. student body president at school, which didn't really have much power to begin with, you know, or somebody who's talking like we are right now. Which you know, people, I tell you right now, I am no role model, so don't do anything I fucking say. <laughs> Just. Don't don't right. do that at all, you know. Yeah. If I tell you to put a fork in the microwave, I'm just I'm just talking shit. Don't don't do that, okay? That's right. <laughs> Unless don't don't try this at yeah, home. Definitely kids. don't try this at home. Yeah, I can respect uh, Harry for um, bringing hip hop to the white kids, if you will. 
because <laughs> these are it's all tunes that they ever heard before. And I can respect uh, him for, for playing that kind of thing, just to say, you know, because that's one of the biggest fucking fuck you establishment things there is, I think. Which, you know, yeah. the, the director of this film, Alan Moyle, in, in Writer 2, he did Empire Records, and he pulled together a great group of young people for that movie, too. And, and a great soundtrack to boot, which is why I love that movie to, to, to this day so much, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I got to respect the guy who played Ice-T for white kids and one apparently one black kid that went to that school. Yeah, down in Arizona. Because they probably weeded all the other ones out of that school. <laughs> yeah, good point. Oh, boy. But, um, yeah, I, I really I really enjoy myself watching this movie. I, it, I, think, I think it has something to say, you know, about the young kids of that time. Even though they were all privileged, they still had lots of problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, mostly caused by the, the adults in their life. Yeah, exactly. As you see at the end, it's kind of like putting these... I mean, this is kind of the perfect double bill because it was a bunch of kids at the end all gathered together in the small area that this little shortwave radio came in, uh, all listening to it together and banding together against the authority. And the uh, the FCC, I mean, this became a federal situation towards the end, and... You know, they're kind of messing with those guys, which is funny. <laughs> just so just I, picking uh, on Teen Wolf's dad in a limo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> James Hampton. He was uh, the, uh, yeah, he was not having a good time with those damn kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I also like the the, the, the fact that, that what, the, what the media played in this movie, too. You know, the, the, the one reporter was relentless, like, this is a story, and I'm going to pursue it. And this is all I'm going to talk about are these bad kids and their 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 messiah, this this Harry character, and you know, because uh-huh. this is news, people. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the other thing about this. It's like I don't know if this would actually be that big of a news story. I guess if a kid committed suicide and another one like set fire to her house or something like that, it would kind of catch on locally i suppose but it just seemed to be overblown for what it was over this whole time you think that you know this is kid committed suicide this girl blew up microwave you know because harry told her to lose all of her worldly possessions and including these these pearls and this this yale pennant that her daddy i'm sure bought for her you know and yeah and you you would think that you know you you would be against harry but the media seems gung-ho for harry you know right like like he really has something to say and you know and Something's wrong with the with the with the establishment, you know, and yeah. you seem to be heralding him so much when they they shouldn't be. You know, you think if this was a like I said a nine, after nine eleven situation, I think Homeland Security would have had something to say about Hard Harry for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, I guess they're always looking for a story to break, but it's like he's messing with their form of media basically by taking away their listeners and pirating their stations and stuff like that and, and taking over the airwaves. Oh, yeah, he's, he's stealing bandwidth, you know, uh-huh. for, from the FM dial of all things. You'd think it'd have been a little more low-key, like on an AM station, but he uh, he went straight for the FM dial. He did. I mean, he's pretty savvy. He had the his little phone set up in a, an old couple's house, so that when they were trying to triangulate it, they, they tracked it down to, you know, he was ready for that situation and... Uh, he was smart enough to make make his uh, recording base mobile towards the end when they were the FCC trucks were tracking him down. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah, so he was he was pretty smart to get away from these these uh, governmental crackdowns. 
Yeah, so to say this movie is dated, I, I think I think if anything, this movie could use a remake. Just, you know, with the fact that we have the internet now and we have so much more to communicate these 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 the his word, I guess his word, his sermon, the happy Harry sermon, you know, <laughs> out to the peoples. You know, it's so much different now, you know, communications wise, that if this had a had a had a um had a decent remake with a decent premise, I wouldn't be against that because it's so much different now as far right. as communications goes. The music might be a little lackluster. Who knows? Maybe there's some, still some good stuff out there. Yeah, but the music does fuel this movie in, in a lot of ways. So that would yeah. be the only the only qualms I would have against it is that you know every, everybody listens to everything now. It's all available. You got fucking Spotify for Christ's sake. You can turn <laughs> on Spotify for free and listen to so many so much music that you wouldn't even know is out there. Mm-hmm. Whereas Harry's playing like the Beastie Boys, and you know you said L- L- Leonard Cohen, he's playing Ice T Ice Ice uh, T for these children that have never heard this music in forever. You know, and they're like, wow, this is really cool. And you get, you get the the fat kid who who I love in this movie. S- selling pirated tapes to people of Harry's broadcast. Yeah. So it all comes full circle. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when the, the when the chunky kid and um a very metal mulleted Seth Seth uh, Seth Green um set it oh, up to right. set up through the loudspeaker Harry's whatever they had going on some kind of repeating thing. Mm-hmm. It was almost subliminal in a way of the teacher t- the, pre- the the principal telling them what to do and you know. Yeah, shut that racket off. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the old custodian knocking kids out. I mean, he was he was definitely of the old generation, the old guard mm-hmm. too. And but yeah, I, I think Leonard Cohen would still play if they did a remake. I think it'd still work. No, oh, I definitely. <laughs> oh. Of course, the 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 phone conversations would be a lot more believable with Skype. Uh, I I don't really. I, I guess I. I mean, like you said, maybe he's he's pretty technologically savvy. I, I couldn't figure out how he was able to get those phone conversations aired. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. He that's little, true. He just had a cordless phone. Maybe he had a little microphone inside the inside of it or something. It could be. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't ask these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only ask them because my wife does when I'm watching movies with her. She's kind of the the skeptical. She's always watching things. I, that movie we watched today when they were down in the caves. She was saying, "How's their hair dry so fast? There's no air down there." It's like, "Come on!" But then, of course, it gets in my head, and then I can't get it out. It's like you've ruined it, damn it! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else you want to see? I'm gonna pump up the volume. Uh, this one, no. I, I mean, a fan of as a fan of the Super Mario Brothers movie, of course, I have to say it was really a pleasure to see Samantha Mathis in an early role. In her first role. First role, that's right. It was an introducing role, wasn't it? Small breasts exposed and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, her hair was a little different. It was black or something because she kind of plays like this darker character. Um, but yeah, it was kind of it was cool to see her in this one. And uh, I, if there's a weak point of this film, I think it is her because she's kind of a fame whore in this movie. Because when, when she finds out who Harry is, she's like, "Oh, can I play? Can I be a part of it? Oh, we gotta be, mm-hmm. we gotta finish this, you know? Okay, calm down, bitch, you know." Yeah, yeah. Like once again, the love interest aspect of this felt maybe a little shoehorned in, but oh, this was really forced. Uh huh. It was. It was just. I don't know. I, I as a because he, pl- he plays this guy who's boisterous on the radio. But in real life, he doesn't be bothered by anybody. You know, he's, yeah, his he, whole relationship with his parents is, you know, fuck you. As long as I get good grades, you got nothing to say to me. You know, 
and that that was it you know can't talk to girls face to face so he can't even like look at her and talk to her he the only way he can talk to her is if he turns on the the recording equipment and the microphone and looks away from her <laughs> and like again like we were saying as as the podcasting it's like you get this whole new persona and you feel more confident and and everything and so he was that was a weird interaction with her but i don't know i just i had this little schoolboy crush on her from when i was little watching super mario brothers as princess daisy not peach she, she was cute weird. though yeah I, I give her that she was i don't know she yeah. looks now but she was cute back in those days she was she was a little cutie so uh but overall i i mean this was a first watch like i said so uh it was viewed differently than maybe i would have viewed it as a rebellious youth like when i saw uh, billy jean but i still really enjoyed this one um it i liked obviously the music like we were talking about and i uh, once again like that this movie's progression from you know the the counterculture of the the 70s which he kind of lampoons saying whatever or the 60s he's like whatever happened to you guys you know you turned into what you hated and it's kind of the same with uh so yeah, just that progression from that era to through the seventies and eighties till the nineties, and I li- I like seeing that. It reminds me of that conversation that Chris, Christopher McDon- Christopher McDonald had with um, Matthew Lillard in, in SLC Punk, where he's talking to his father about how he, how he sold out, and he goes, "I didn't I didn't sell out, I bought in," you know. Yeah. And that 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 was a that's a line and a half right there delivered by him. Yeah, but, I mean um, it's it's true. But this is the whole like, the music. The, the one, the one, and you're gonna laugh at this. The one thing that faulted in the music of this film was is the end credits when you hear slot, uh, "Stand" by Sly and the Family Stone, sang by a white man. And I can't get behind that because you know uh-huh. it, it doesn't work for me if it's sang by a white man. Yeah, it takes something away from it. You know. I mean, there were a lot of covers in this this movie. I mean, there was even a cover of Leonard Cohen with the same song. But I, I could see they were going for kind of this. They wanted to sell the soundtrack as its own thing. Oh, no, and interesting I, covers, it but still yeah, plays it's like, well too. I still enjoy it. Yeah, it's like it still has to make sense. Like, yeah, I, I didn't really get that. The white dude singing "Stand." <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one, man. You know. Yeah, I guess they're all white characters in the film, so it wasn't written for us. Okay, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, uh, ratings now for for this film. What do you give it? One through ten, my friend. I give this one just a, a star lower than Billy Jean. Uh, six. Uh, if it, it falls in that same wheelhouse for me as as a good generational movie, um, but just a little bit lower, probably because I don't have that attachment to it. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, shoot, this this is rough because you know it's it's, it's, it's kind of dated and everything else, but. I had to give it a solid eight because I, I really like the the message you brought across. I, I think I think it's dated, and that's probably why I lost a couple points in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Samantha Mathis, no, 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 I'm dropping it down to a seven because I lost a point because of Samantha Mathis. <laughs> wow! But but you you did you did get to see your tits, and that was nice, you know. Yeah. Because they're small but perky, kind of kind of like Anna Paquin's, you know. <laughs> exactly. This it's is okay. the se- this is the second podcast in a row where Anna Paquin's breasts have come up, you know. <laughs> But um, I'm fine with that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a seven. Yeah, she was kind of annoying. Okay. But um, so, but I'm sorry. So, I was just gonna say two movies that we're both pretty positive on, which is kind of interesting for your show. And just the the only detractors are, I guess, a couple of characters in the film. So if yeah, if you can look past that, and and I think they both have definite rewatchability factors to them. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I watch uh, Billy Jean often, so I don't know. If it comes mm-hmm. on TV, I'll turn it on. So yeah. this one's a couple time watch for me. So I'm going to keep on watching it though. Hopefully, it gets a proper release one day. Yeah. Well, I think I have the DVD somewhere <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, right after this, we'll uh, come back, we'll close out the show. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. Mathematics of murder and menace. The BBNBC podcast discusses lesser known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. I like them cheesy, I like them gritty, I like them campy, I love them all. He married Christy, she hates them. I think they're senseless and upsetting. Listen in as you searches through shelves of DVDs, VHS, and Blu-ray. There are too many of these movies on the shelves. We need to just start getting rid of them. In his never-ending quest to convert his lovely wife to the dark side. <laughs> Come to the dark side. In Christy Christie's Well, Eric, uh, thanks for coming on the show and taking the time finally to we get this this Slater on Slater show done. <laughs> it was definitely my pleasure. This was probably one of my favorite uh, guesting appearances I've ever done. I'm glad you had a good time. You know, it's I, I, I'm not saying oh, it's it's a, it's a it's a laugh a minute on this show because it's not, <laughs> not really, but you know, I, I always appreciate good guests and I appreciate all my guests for that for that reason. It's just yeah, it's a nice change of pace to get to talk about some good films, uh, not necessarily horror films, but just some good old fashioned, uh, you know, genre films still. Yeah, it's for sure, and we're gonna get to do that real soon. Actually, you want to tell them about uh, our new project that we're gonna do together. Well, sure. Yeah, it's kind of your brainchild, but uh, the few people I've already told it told it to has said that it's kind of a, a brilliant idea. Um, we will be, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like we will be just talking sequels yeah. to movies, uh, not necessarily you know entire franchises, retrospectives or anything like that. Just kind of every once in a while bringing up a sequel to a movie, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. You know, talking about the effects of sequels, why they exist, and how they help or hurt a franchise, basically. Oh, definitely hurt a franchise sometimes. Yeah, say more often than not, yeah. sadly. <laughs> Though recently, I guess maybe it's a little different. We'll see. Mm-hmm. These big blockbuster superhero movies, but uh, yeah, I think we've got a lot, a lot of. Well, there, there's, there's, of mine. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to choose from, so it should be a pretty broad show. Yeah. Whether it be action, comedy, or horror, whatever to talk about, it should should be pretty pretty big to talk about and sequels and 
yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that untitled show, but I'm sure we'll come up with something very, very soon. You know? Right. Uh, but that'll be available exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network. We should be recording uh, first weekend in October, right? Yes, that's when things will, like I said, finally settle down for me. But I'll I'll be definitely looking forward to it uh, up until October, and it'll be good to get back on Horrorphilia Network. And I know I promised kind of a, a long retirement, but I just couldn't resist uh, getting together with you and getting together to talk about uh, these these fun sequels. And I think if this shows an indie indicator, that I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, so call this the pilot, but no sequels involved, people, see? <laughs> <laughs> but um, if they want to find your stuff, man, where can they, they, they find it? And I, 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 I have a quick question, really, actually, before you even do all that. Oh, what's, yeah. what's the status on your, um, I know you're going to release some kind of, like, collection of all 100 years of horror in a CD yeah. set. What's the status on that? Yeah, this was kind of an idea inspired by another podcast I listened to, uh, and the, what what they do uh, to kind of decrease the amount of money that they spend on bandwidth and to keep hosting their their stuff uh, is to, and I'm putting all 100 episodes of 100 Years of Horror together on uh, a disc, and it's going to have some artwork and uh, and stuff like that. It's going to be like in a, a slim case DVD. I'm just waiting to get the uh, the final Photoshop files back from a, a friend of mine who does all all of my design work. Great. Um, and so hopefully get that out for uh, a Halloween release. And once that's done, then I'll take all the episodes down from the internet, and uh, that'll be the only way if you want to listen to any of the the old shows. Yeah, you know, give us yeah, keep us updated. I'm I'm looking forward to getting that and have it. Uh, I'm a big shelf here to listen to whenever I want to. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like pretty much everyone I talk to and knows it has this sort of collector mentality to them. So I'm like, they'll they'll enjoy this and having a physical specimen, even if they don't want to listen to it again or you know anything like that. It's just it, it'll be good to have out there so I can you know take it down, not have to pay for it anymore, and just you know if people want to listen to it, they have a, a way to do it. It's like some of these horror sequels. I uh, I have I have all the Hellraiser films, even the shitty ones. You know, they're they're all sitting out on my shelf, you know. Because <laughs> yep. I'm a completist, people, you know. Yeah, it's that nagging little feeling you get. You just can't look at your shelf. Like, do I want Hellraiser, Hellraiser Revelations? Not really, but I can't resist it. Can I, yeah. Take my $5, please, you know. Yep. <laughs> they, they know they've got us when they're, you know, re-releasing stuff, too. And the only way you can get certain things is to buy the new set. Mm-hmm. But I won't the, even get into that. Got you by the balls, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> if you really want it, if not, you know, what the hell with it. Exactly. But uh, it's yeah. like I got the Exorcist films, and now I, I see they're all coming back out on another box set, of course. It's like, all right. Yeah, but you got to play that whole game. You didn't have Exorcist 3 on Blu ray C before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's the good in there, man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, Yeah, tell the folks where they can find you on the social media and your other show and all that good stuff, man. Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me. Uh, I still exist on Twitter at the Phantom Eric, uh, and I haven't retired the persona, even though I've retired the name uh, when, when I come on these shows. But uh, you can also, uh, yeah, find me on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash One Hundred Years of Horror to keep out in the status of that that box set. Otherwise, uh, find the Yellow Chow Chow group if you want to. If you're interested in that cinema, it's it's pretty. Uh, specific, so it, it's kind of a niche thing. But if you want to listen to that, you can find the group there and all the details to find the show. And then, of course, I know Gary, you and maybe some of your listeners are wrestling 
wrestling fans. Oh, yeah. So to kind of get a, get away from the film, I do also produce a show, Wrestling with Friends, which is not necessarily a uh, where we talk about current product or anything like that. We do cover off on it a little bit, but it's mostly a nostalgic show, just like these movie shows and movie podcasts where we kind of look back on our childhood and have fun little segments and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah, that's that's all good stuff, man. You know, I know Mike Murphy doesn't like the wrestling, but you know that's 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 him. And, <laughs> and I know he said as soon as he started talking about wrestling, he's gonna tune out. I was that's like, right. okay, you do that, man. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't do my co-hosts wrong though. I had to, of course, plug it for them. And oh, that's fine. I'm still I'm still convinced Mike is a a closeted wrestling fan. You can't appreciate a good feud, man. We don't appreciate a good feud. <laughs> it's so much more nuanced than he gives it credit for. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, and th- that thing's still going on where you guys could um, rate and review us on iTunes, Cinema Beef, The Bird of the Beard, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, or Sausage Fest Reviews, and you have the chance to win uh, some items that I have, which include a Jeffrey Combs mini poster autograph, uh, Charles Band mini poster autograph, which he gave to us to give to a listener, which is pretty cool of him. Um, what else? Uh, Escape Plan Blu-ray, which is Region 1, so if you UK, UK listeners and other abroad listeners, you cannot have that one, but you guys can win other, other, other great prizes, which the last prize is a Dark Crystal Vintage movie card set that I have lying around the house here, collecting dust, and I figure somebody would enjoy some Jim Henson goodness in their lives and uh, oh, yeah. do something with it, you know. And, um, yeah, all you gotta do is rate and review us. It's not that hard to do, but it seems to be hard for some people, but, you know, just uh, show us some love on iTunes, and um, uh-huh. we would appreciate that, and we will send you some cool shit, and, you know, for free. I will ship internationally as well, so. Wow. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. Yeah, I, I found out how cheap <laughs> was the sheet chip, like, to the UK. Like, okay, I can, I can do I can afford that, so it's all good. Yeah. And, uh, but um, thank you, Eric, again for coming on, and um, looking forward to our new budding project, and hopefully good stuff comes out of that, and. We could explore many facets of film with that because sky's the limit, really, you know, with the sequels. Definitely. Yeah, I've, I've already got quite the, the list myself, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to do it. Great. Um, and always at the, here at Sin Beef Podcast, if you've got beef, I've got the grinder. See you guys later. things you want are real you have you to complete and there is no There's a midget standing tall And 
giant beside him about to fall. Oh. 